And we are in Mark chapter 6, verse 7 to 13. Mark chapter 6, verse 7 to 13. And I'll be reading from the ESV version. Just a reminder that this is the Word of God. Please follow along with me. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. But he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you. Welcome, everyone, again to Kingsway. Um, due to popular demand, I have shaved off my moustache and my beard. I felt immediately empty. Um, uh, yesterday, uh, Rebecca Hans growth group actually sent us some food, uh, which was super nice. And uh, Uni pointed out that they probably sent it to me because, you know, they probably felt like I needed some help uh, due to my beard and uh, moustache situation. Um, but a uh, funny story, after I shaved, I came down um, and Zoe kept staring at me. Uh, so I shaved today, <laughs> Zoe kept staring at me. And then I was like, I'm trying to get her to, to, to hold her. And she started whinging and she wouldn't come to me. And so I haven't been able to hold Zoe um, ever since I've shaved. <laughs> so happy Father's Day to me. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, anyway, just, just I thought I'd talk about the elephant in the room in case it distracts you. Okay, I'm gonna pray and let's jump into God's word. Um, Would you pray with me as I seek God's help? Uh, Father, we um, come before you and we want to meet with you. Uh, We want to hear from you. Uh, We want your word, which is alive, um, to grip our hearts as your Holy Spirit works. And so um, give us that anticipation, the expectation that you are with us and that you are going to speak to us and move in our lives, Uh, especially during this time when uh, we can become so complacent in our lives. Uh, we can just go on cruise control. I pray that you might jolt us out of apathy and bring us back on mission. Uh, we just want to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but, um, you know, even though we've got it pretty good in Sydney, um, you know, compared to some other parts of the world, uh, this lockdown has been slowly affecting, you know, m- me and my mindset. I've noticed that lately my motivation has dipped. Um, I've started questioning purpose in life kind of stuff like why do I exist you know and I feel like I've put pause on my life I don't know if you feel that just life is on pause I'm just waiting for it to kind of get better so we can get out of this and I'm just cruising along just waiting for I don't know what it is I think to get out of lockdown I'm not as passionate as I used to be uh, and the purpose as I've shared seems to have uh, kind of disappeared in life I mean for me at least as I've come to today's passage uh, it was a really great reminder a reminder of you know, what God's doing right now in this world. Uh, what God's been about, has always been about, is about right now. And how that relates to me right, and my purpose in life. Um, you know, if I'm honest, when I first came to today's passage, it, it, it felt like unrelatable. Right? It felt like, what does this have to do with me? 
And through the process of preparing, I realized, wow, that is a, a stark reminder of where my heart is at, right? How far I am from being um, God-minded and mission-minded, right? And so I hope as I go through what I'm talking about today, that it might remind you of what God's doing in your life, uh, what God is trying to do through your life, and hopefully bring you back on track as well to the great purpose that God has for you, which is to be on mission. So today I've got two points today. I want to talk about God's mighty mission, all right, God's mighty mission. And then the second point is God's modest means, all right? So God's mighty mission, God's modest means. And so let's look at God's mighty mission uh, as we begin. You know, we took a break from the Gospel of Mark for a couple of weeks, um, but three weeks ago, right, when we left off the Gospel of Mark, we saw Jesus uh, go to his hometown. I don't know if you remember, uh, he went back to his hometown and it really should have been the highlight of his ministry. It's going back to the people that know him. Uh, he grew up with these people. You'd think that they would receive him the warmest, with the greatest faith, uh, with a great celebration. Uh, but astonishingly, we saw that his hometown uh, rejected him. Those who knew him best received him the least. And so we read at the end in verse 6, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief, right? He's amazed how little they believe, right? He marveled because of their unbelief. And, you know, if it was me in that situation, I think I would have been deeply discouraged uh, to go back to your hometown, the people you grew up with, only to be rejected by them. And maybe I would have slowed down. I would have taken a break. And kind of like how I'm feeling through COVID, just put a pause on the ministry or the mission and just cruise along for a little bit. Uh, but rather than being deterred, what we see in verse six is really interesting, right? In that same verse, it says, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And then it says straight away, and he went about among the villages teaching, right? It says he, um, he just goes and keeps teaching as he goes around the villages. Right, Jesus doesn't hesitate. He doesn't pause. He doesn't stop. He's not slowed down. He pursues the mission relentlessly. It's like nothing will stop Jesus from continuing to do the work that the Father has given to him. Right, to bring people to repentance, that they might be a part of the kingdom of God. Right, throughout the life of Jesus, it's like a constant um, set of roadblocks and opposition one after another. But if you look at the ministry of Jesus, it feels like he is doing it by himself and everyone around him is trying to slow him down or stop him. you got the devil right from the beginning tempting Jesus to take the easy way out. You have the religious leaders opposing him, questioning him, accusing him, and then they kill him. You have his family even in chapter 3. They try to seize him, it says. And they say, he is out of his mind. So even his family is against him. His disciples, they're clueless most of the time. They don't seem to listen to him. And when he needs them most, they're not there. And last, week, uh, last time we saw, even his hometown is going to reject him. Right? Everyone around him opposing him, opposing him uh, discouraging him. And yet Jesus relentlessly pursues this mission. Right? Nothing stops Jesus from completing the task. And that makes sense because the task is so important. Right? Jesus came to this world to complete the mission that he has been given, which is to make a way for people to be returned to the Father. That sinners like you and me might have a chance of you know, a second life 
to be stripped of our sins and be brought back to the Father. It's, it's an eternal work, and this is the most important task ever to be given to anyone. And so Jesus relentlessly pursues this mission. This is why Jesus came to the world, so that people might be saved. But it's not just uh, Jesus' mission. It's not just for him. Because we find in this passage, this mission is for every disciple of Jesus. By association, any disciple of Jesus is also on mission, right? trying to fulfill that very same task. So in verse 7, what we see is this. It says, Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. Now, we've never seen the disciples do this right until now. They've never actively participated in the work that Jesus has been doing. They've kind of been in the background watching, you know, when Jesus is healing, kind of taking notes, you know, oh, look at that. You know, they've just been very silent along the way. But now in chapter six, they're actually going to go out and do stuff. Now, this isn't Jesus uh, coming out with a new idea, like, oh, maybe I should do this. This has always been the plan. Right? The plan of Jesus, the plan of God always involved the disciples as a core part of fulfilling the mission. Uh, right from the beginning in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus begins his ministry, he's baptized, he's tempted in the wilderness, and the first thing he does when he starts his ministry is that he begins to call people to follow him, right, right from the beginning, because it always involved the disciples. And then in Mark chapter 3, we see Jesus take a further step. He appoints out of the crowd that follow him, he appoints 12 people. Right? That's what happens. Uh, so that they might walk more closely with him. We read in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. I'll just read this, Mark 3, 14. It says he appointed 12 so that they might, number one, they might be with him. And then number two, that he might send them out. Uh, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Now that send them out part is what we're seeing in chapter 6. He's sending them out. And in our chapter 6, verse 12 we see them be sent out and do exactly what Jesus has been doing. It says that they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, that they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Those three things they're doing, proclaiming, exercising demons, and healing the sick are the three things Jesus has been doing in the first six chapters of the Gospel of Mark. Right? He's just doing these three things you know, one after another. And they're going out to do the exact same thing Jesus is doing. It's like Jesus has taken his task and he's passed it on to his disciples. And he's saying, you do now what I've been doing. You, you continue the mission. And when you think about this, it's shocking. It's shocking that the disciples are going out to do what Jesus has done. The things that Jesus has been doing has flipped the cities upside down. It's created like an uproar thousands of people are uh, chasing after jesus because he's doing these three things right uh, thousands at a time people just want to touch his cloak they just want to hear him speak so much so that in chapter three we saw that jesus was afraid he'll be crushed to death he doesn't even have time to eat sometimes because people are harassing them and now just kind of out of nowhere the disciples are now doing the same things right, what a what a privilege that the disciples get to do these things that Jesus has been doing that has created such an impact on people's lives. And so, number one, they're sent out. But number two, uh, what Jesus says is that it's so that they might be with him. Right? So that they might be with him 
and so that he might send them out. Now, the send them out is in chapter six, I said. That's where we are. But he says this in chapter three. That's when he chooses them. And so between chapter three and chapter six, he's not sending them out, but in those three chapters, it's so that they might be with him, right? So that they might be with him, uh, walk with him, uh, live with him, uh, learn from him, imitate him, become like him in those three chapters, so that by chapter six, they might be sent by him. Right, so for three chapters, Jesus is making um, mini versions of himself so that the disciples can soak in who Jesus is, become more like him so that by chapter six, they might be sent by him to be like him and to continue the mission. Right, and so it's not just that they're doing what he does. It's also so that they might be who he is. Right? They're going out as his ambassadors. Right? If you think of what an ambassador is, they're representatives. They speak or act or make decisions on behalf of another country or another person. Right? So that when you see the ambassador, it's like you see someone who is representing you know, the person they're sent by. And that's what the disciples are doing. They're ambassadors, images of Christ, in a sense, to be his feet that go to the lost his heart of compassion, right? his hands of healing comfort, his mouthpiece to proclaim salvation, they go out to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus has been doing. And this whole idea of Jesus sending out ambassadors to fulfill the mission is still the same today. Right? Nothing's changed in God's mission from Mark chapter 6 to today. Now, Jesus has completed his, his role. He died on the cross he has made that way for salvation. But in terms of the mission advancing forward, it's still being done. Today, God is still on mission. And today, God is still doing that through his disciples, right? especially today, because Jesus is gone. He's gone back to the Father. And Jesus has passed on that baton, that task to people like us, right? that we might go finish the mission. And so if you're a Christian here today, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are called by Jesus like the disciples were. You've been appointed to be with him, walk with him, learn from him, imitate him, become like him. Right? We have the spirit inside of, inside of us, his Holy Spirit. We have the scriptures that we can learn from Jesus and we can pray to him because of what he has done. Right? So just like the disciples were with Jesus, we're with Jesus every moment of our lives. And after becoming like him, he sends us out as his ambassadors into the world to advance the mission. And again, what a tremendous honor and privilege it is for us that we get to play a part in this eternal plan of salvation that God has been unfolding. But ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God has been unrolling his plan right, throughout the Old Testament. Right, throughout Jesus, the early church, and even now God is you know, advancing his mission and he's inviting us that we get to play a part in that. Now, we might not go cast out demons or heal the sick, but we get to do the most miraculous and uh, the most important part of it, which is to call people to repentance. That we get to see people uh, with hardened hearts turn to God through Jesus. The miracle of miracles that hearts will be transformed and we'll be able to participate in that. And what a privilege it is that people we know, people we love, people we thought that would never come to church actually do. And he, we get to play a part in that 
as his ambassadors, right? that we get to be representatives of Jesus, right? that people can see us and see the love of Christ. They hear us and hear the message of Christ, and we get to be kind of those mini versions of Jesus uh, sent out as his ambassadors. I remember once hearing that um, there are five Gospels and you are the fifth Gospel. And every time I say that, it sounds like heresy. <laughs> it kind of is. Um, but uh, the, the point was that, uh, you know, unchurched people don't tend to read the first four Gospels, right? There's only four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They don't read them to learn about Jesus. Uh, they first read us, right? The fifth Gospel. They read us to learn about Jesus. They watch how we uh, act and talk and live, how we love, how we serve, how we go to work. And through us, they make judgment calls about Jesus. Right? Before they actually get to the gospels that they need to get to, they look at us. Right? That's what it means to be an ambassador, to represent Jesus. For better, for worse, that's who we are. Right? So that's God's mighty mission. It's happening in the Mark chapter 6. It's happening right now. And God is still sending out his ambassadors to advance the mission. So let's talk about the second one, God's modest means. That's the mission that God is still advancing. How does he fulfill it? I said it's through people like us, through people like you, his disciples. But I just want to sit on this fact uh, for a little moment. Because if I was Jesus and I wanted to advance the mission, I don't think I would have uh, given the mission to the 12 disciples that he chose, right? Because, you know, again, they're, uh, they're, they're pretty messed up. You know, they're, they're pretty um, confused a lot of the time. Um, you know, I remember in high school, uh, my principal and the teachers uh, would get upset and disappointed when the students of the high school, um, wearing the school uniform, wearing the school emblem, would go out and represent the school poorly. I don't know if your school was like that. I, like we'd have assemblies where the, you know, the principal would say some stuff. Uh, maybe the principal would get a call from you know, a parent complaining that students of the school were swearing on the train or you know, students of the school were caught skipping school in school uniform. You know, they'd be getting drunk at the park. You know, maybe some of them are here right now. I don't know. Anyway, um, and I'd always, I'd always hear that. And I'd think, like, what did you expect? Right? We're a bunch of boys going through puberty, peer pressure, Everyone wants to be a gangster, listening to Tupac. You know, we own, we own Chatswood, stuff like that. And, you know, of course, we're going to be bad representatives of times. Right? You're going to put your jumper on us, put your emblem on us. You know, we're going to represent it badly. But I feel like that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's putting his badge, his emblem on a bunch of disciples that are rough around the edges. And they're not really all there. When you look at who the disciples are, and I'm sure you've heard this before, they're not the most educated, not the most influential or skilled. They're not even the most religious people, right? fishermen, tax collectors. Until now, we've seen that they don't really get Jesus' teaching. We saw that in Mark 4.13. They're filled with fear, not faith, Mark 4.40. And when they speak, it's usually unhelpful. Right? We see that in Mark chapter 5. But even after Mark chapter 6, after they're sent out, as we read Mark, we see that still they're not really like on board. They, they still don't really understand. In this very same chapter in Mark chapter 6, it says that their hearts were hardened right, later on in verse 52. Right, these are the people Jesus is sending out. 
Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks them, do you not yet understand? Are your hearts hardened? These are his ambassadors. In Mark chapter 9, we see the disciples arguing, and Jesus asks them, what are you arguing about? Mark chapter 9, verse 34, it says, but they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And so here are the people that Jesus is sending out to do these great miracles, to proclaim repentance. It's a bunch of people who don't yet understand still, whose hearts are still hardened at times, who you know, like to argue about you know, who's better, I'm better, no, I'm better, you're better. Right? That, these are the disciples, these are his ambassadors who are going out to represent Jesus. Christ's chosen means to further the mission are not the best of the best. Uh, they're not the ones who are perfect, who've got it all together. They're still rough around the edges, still learning, still stumbling their way to love the king and live his way. Right? God's creating, it's like you've got a, a paradox here. On one hand, you've got God's mighty mission, incredibly high calling to fulfill something that will see uh, eternities changed and to represent Christ, the perfect one. And then on the other hand, the people he's sending are like you know, the, the lowly of the lows, broken, you know, not yet perfect. Fishermen, tax collectors were doubtful at times. And you've got this great paradox where it's a mighty mission and you have these modest means. It's not mighty people that Jesus is sending. It's modest people. And it's the same way today. God is still on mission. And yet the people he's sending are people like you and me. Now, some of us were amazing, um, but some of us were, were, were not there yet. That we're not there yet. We're, we're still rough around the edges. We're still um, stumbling our way. And the question is, why does God do it this way? Why does God send you know, people like us on his mission? And in verse 7, it says something interesting. It says, Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Right? That's really key. Jesus' provision of his authority is what enables the modest means to fulfill such a mighty mission. It's because Jesus has the power and he's with us. Right? Jesus says this exact same thing when he departs from the earth to go to the Father. Right? We have the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus, his last command to his disciples is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? That's the mission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But see that word therefore. Right? What's therefore? Therefore. Right? That's a Bible college joke that the lecturers like to say. What's the there? Every time you see therefore, you ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, let's go back to verse 18. This is what Jesus says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven. Right? There's the same word. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then at the end, he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so on one hand, you've got this mighty mission, something that seems impossible. On the other hand, you have his modest means broken, imperfect people, and we're asking, how do modest means fulfill this mighty mission? And it's because Christ has all the authority and is with us always to the end of the age. Go therefore, right? That is how we know we can accomplish it. 
And this is why God is so wise. Because when this works, when modest means fulfill a mighty mission by the power of God, right, God gets the praise. He gets the glory because that gap between who we are and what he has called us to do is all God. All God. God is the one who has sent people who are ineloquent and not educated, and yet people are being saved. That's all God. When God takes broken people and he sanctifies us and transforms us and we break out of character traits that we thought we'd never break out of, that's all God. But when God heals us, breaks us from addiction, brings us into restoration of relationships, that's all God. And so God sends modest means to fulfill a mighty mission so that he will take all the glory. And that's God's wisdom at play. But that's one of the reasons why God works the way he does. The Apostle Paul, he says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is the gospel. And the jars of clay, right, easily broken and weak, is human weakness. And God's put this treasure of the gospel in weak people like us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Right? That's what Paul says. God did it this way to show his power, that the power belongs to him and not us. And so therefore, he gets all the praise. If mighty men or mighty women accomplish mighty things, then they will be praised. Then they will take the glory. But if modest people accomplish mighty things because of a magnificent God, then he will be greatly praised. And that is what God wants. That's what God deserves. He deserves all the glory. And so as we sit here, maybe feeling like we're weak, I don't have the words, I'm not able. Well, that's the way it's meant to be. God is deliberately sending people who don't have it all together to go proclaim the gospel and be his ambassadors. Because when we strive to love the king and live his way and get on mission, God will do it and he will take all the glory in the end. Right, which is why when we look at the verse 7 to 11 in between, and I'll go through this quite quickly, Jesus gives the disciples a set of uh, guidelines, which is a little weird. Um, but each of these guidelines are seek to keep the disciples humble. It's as if Jesus is purposefully trying to make sure the disciples remember that they are modest, to make sure that the success of ministry doesn't inflate their pride or ego and make them think, I did it. Because the moment we think I did it, well, then we'll start taking the glory and steal it from God. And so there's three things that Jesus does that I want to point out. Right? The first thing is that he sends them in pairs. It says, verse 7, he sent them out two by two. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, to give a valid testimony, right, for your testimony to be you know, believed, you needed to have a witness. And so part of it is so that Jesus can say, you know, whatever like what, what people are witnessing and whatever they testify for it to be valid, you need another person there. So part of it is that, but every um, scholar would also say, this is practical, right? It's so that people go leaning on the support, the accountability, um, the help of one another, because, you know, gospel work is never a solo effort. We should never think that it's, it's me doing it. It's always us. 
God is working through teams, uh, groups, churches. The whole body is working for growth. And when a church um, is doing well, it's never because the pastor or one person um, is, is great. It's always the church working together right, to do great work. And we need to remember this uh, because we live in a celebrity culture. We love our celebrities, and it's just as true for Christians. Right? We elevate the famous pastors, um, the preachers, the authors as the source of truth. Uh, we give them greater honor. They're the key. Right? If only we had someone like them. Um, and it's great to acknowledge uh, the strengths and the gifts and what they're doing for the church. But it can easily become unhealthy, especially when we attribute success to a person. It's never a person. It's always a team. It's always a group. It's always a church, which is why I think Jesus sends them in pairs right, to remind them it's not just one of you. Right? It's us together. Right? You need each other. Um, you know, I've been listening to a podcast. Um, I don't know if you've been uh, listening to it called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, I, I, I write this in my script. I wasn't sure I'd, um, I'd talk about it. Uh, if you're going to listen to this podcast, uh, it's a podcast about this church called Mars Hill Church that uh, really exploded. I uh, was doing well. I think at one point might have been the fastest growing church in the world. Um, and then quite quickly um, broke apart um, and it no longer exists right now. And they're trying to figure out, um, talk about you know, what went wrong, you know, what happened. Um, and so it's very informative. Um, but if you're going to listen to it, I just want to um, just kind of make sure we listen to it uh, with a humble attitude and not judgmental, uh, not prideful, uh, not be like, oh, you guys made that mistake. We're better than you. Um, always be prayerful. Right. I just want to say that because uh, I think it's easy to listen to it with the wrong posture. But, uh, you know, one of the things that they point out is that um, I think the church started off with modest means, um, but with the success uh, what happened was that um, people thought that the success was due to them, right? Oh, I, I'm bringing in the success, um, especially in leadership. Um, and when that happened, it went wrong really bad, uh, really quickly. And so we need to make sure that we're always not exalting people, not exalting pastors or a single person, right? Even whether it's in Kingsway or we look at other churches, right? It's not about one person. Right, let's not strip the glory from God. Right, the second thing that we see is that Jesus tells them in verse 8 to 9, he tells them to take nothing. Take no bread, no bag, no money. Um, and again, this is to make sure that they are dependent on God every step of the way. You can imagine um, if the disciples go out and there's this big fruitful revival night, there's a big response, um, how kind of inflated they could become, right? Oh, your preaching was on fire. Did you see how many people came to Saving Faith? Oh, I saw you cast out 50 demons. Oh, you're so awesome, right? And so easy to kind of become full of yourself. Uh, but then imagine they wake up the next morning to go to the next town and then their sandal breaks and they don't have spare sandals because, you know, they're not allowed to take any. They get hungry and they're wondering, oh, where's our next food going to come from? Right? They'd immediately be grounded and brought back to the place where they need to be humble, acknowledging their weakness and dependence on God. And so I think Jesus is sending them out like that on purpose so that success, again, doesn't inflate their self-worth you know, uh, of what, what they think uh, they are on, on God's mission. 
The third thing, uh, quickly, uh, Jesus tells them uh, to stay. This one's interesting, verse 10. He said to them, uh, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Um, what Jesus is saying is when you go to a town, whatever house you, you start at, uh, don't, don't move from there to someone else. As long as you're in the town, stay at that same house. And the reason is uh, Jesus is saying, don't look for an upgrade. Right? Don't go to a house and be like, oh, this place isn't as good as I thought. I'm going to go upgrade to a better place. Or maybe you're in the town and someone wealthy comes and says, you know, why don't you stay at my place? And you're like, oh, maybe I should go there because, you know, their cushions are softer. The food is better. Um, just, just, just be content uh, with where you're at. Again, because uh, success can lead us into thinking we deserve a certain kind of treatment. And that makes sense uh, in a secular point of view if success is due to me. If success and the fruit of ministry is due to me, then I can demand you treat me better. I can demand, you know, better accommodation. But if success is due to God, and I'm just a vessel, a modest means by which he's fulfilling the mission, then who am I to demand or ask or even seek preferential treatment? Right? We should just be humble and content with what we've been given. Now, I remember a certain pastor we invited, this was a long time ago, uh, to one of our you know, conferences who required to be flown in first class. Um, it was kind of one of their um, kind of demands. If we didn't, um, they wouldn't have come. And they required a certain quality of accommodation. And if I remember quick, correctly, when they arrived here, I don't think they were happy with where they were staying and they needed an upgrade. And when they explained it, it seemed to kind of make sense. It was like, this is my value. And I can go anywhere, um, I'm, I'm in demand. And so for me to, you know, I guess, equal what I'm worth as a child of God means that, you know, I'm just gonna be honest, this is what I, what I deserve. And this, this is what I deserve for me and my family. And so da, da, da. And so in, in a certain secular way, it kind of makes sense. Um, but again, if we're gonna remember that it's God and it's not an individual, I think it really grounds us. Um, and what we ask for and say that we need uh, will radically reduce. And so I uh, go in pairs shows that we need each other. Uh, take nothing shows that we need God, uh, but then stay where you are shows that we need nothing right, more than the bare minimum that God has taught us to take. As I conclude, I just want to say that this is God's plan. This is God's purpose. God is right now, even at this very moment, taking modest means, imperfect, rough around the edges, people who love the king, want to live his way, and he sends us out on this mighty mission. And it's God's wisdom because it's good for us. We get a privilege to play in this um, great plan of God. It's good for God because he gets the most glory through this, but it's also good for the world. All right, I just want to end on this point. Jesus in John chapter 14, he says uh, something really interesting. He says to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. But Jesus says his disciples will do greater works than him. And so what does Jesus mean by greater works? Right, Jesus walked on water, but we're going to walk on air. Is that what he means? Or Jesus cast out a legion of demons, but we're going to cast out you know, even more demons. Is that what he means? Uh, this, this is what uh, I believe he means. 
what Jesus means is that God in his wisdom knew that more people, a greater quantity of people would be saved by sending out the church, right? Versus sending out the perfect son of God alone. The greater work is that we, filled with the spirit, empowered by God, will reach more people than Jesus could have. I know that sounds weird, but I only say that because that's what Jesus says. Even though Jesus was perfect, he was still only one person in one place, in one point in time. But by going to the Father, that's what Jesus says, because I'm going to the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit, empowering every disciple on earth right now, so that through us, this modest means, after generation and generation, we will reach more and more people right, over time than Jesus could have. This is God's plan. And this is God's wisdom to reach the lost through his church and that more and more people will be saved. You might have seen this demonstration before. I remember sitting in church. I think it was a missionary. Um, he called out two people to the front of the stage and he gave them each a stack of pamphlets. And he says, OK, the goal is to hand out as many pamphlets as you can. And I think the pamphlets represented the gospel. OK, so you're on the right side and you're on the left side. You have your sides. We're going to hand out as many pamphlets as you can. But here's the difference. You on my right. You've got to do it all yourself. So you run around flicking out pamphlets by yourself and that you do it as quickly as you can. But for the person on the left, he says this. Every person you go to, I want you to split your stack in half. And so when you go to the first person, stick, split it in half, give half to them. And you take the half and you keep doing what you're doing. But the person who took the other half, they're going to get off their seat. They're going to take their half and they're going to go to someone, split their stack in half and, you know, give it to them. Right. And so every person who gets a stack gets half a stack of whatever, but they're meant to get up and, you know, continue the work. Right. This is multiplication happening. And so the question is, which method reaches the most amount of people? As you sit there and you watch at the start, it feels like the individual Will reach the most people because they're like a machine gun like they they're just spraying it out they're just tossing it anywhere right it's, it's hitting people in the faces but they they just flick it out as quick as possible the other person who has to take more time to split the stack in half and they give it to the person you know hand it off there's a bit of a discipleship handing off process going on there it takes longer but over the long run in theory that multiplication process of disciples making disciples who send out you know, more disciples has an exponential reach and reaches more people. That is God's wisdom. And that is what God is doing right now. Jesus didn't do it alone. He made his disciples. He sent them out to make more disciples who make more disciples to fulfill the mission of God. In theory, this is the better way. As long as his disciples get on board as long as his disciples get on mission otherwise you just have a person splitting your stack handing up to people who just sit there with half a stack um, looking around um, and then you will end up reaching less people and so the question is you know are you on board with what god is doing right now right i'd love for kingsway you know as we exist to continue to play our part our privileged part in what God has been doing ever since the fall, right? His mighty mission through modest means.